One of the things I love about teaching this class and teaching through Colossians, uh, through Colossians, through the life of Paul, is it seems that whatever is going on in my world during the time I'm writing the lesson seems to plug in decently well with whatever it is I'm writing. So this week, uh, uh, we dropped off one daughter at college who's starting her freshman year at Pepperdine. And I was writing the lesson during the process of dropping her off. Uh, we've got another daughter who's leaving shortly to study for a year in Argentina. And then our son just left to go back to England to study uh, uh, as he continues working on his master's. So we lose three of the anchors in our lives, uh, uh, it seems, in rapid succession, leaving me and, and Becky and the two littlest children we have. And it's a, it's a tough time. I mean, I don't like to see my little babies grow up and leave home. And uh, uh, they did. They grew up in the blink of an eye. And so as I was leaving, I came across a, a, a song that I was listening to. And I thought, wow, this is, this is an experience of life. At the same moment that I'm reading a passage in Colossians, uh, working on this lesson. So I skipped from that passage. I wrote the introduction. I emailed it out to my uh, counseling group who, who counsel me on whether the lesson stinks or not. I get an email back from somebody who I won't mention. And Dale says, are you having a midlife crisis? Why else would you be quoting maudlin lyrics from John Mayer, who's kind of the male counterpart of Alanis Morissette? i couldn't tell if he was for it or against it. Um, I explained to him it wasn't a midlife crisis, but I do want to tell you that there is a song by a fellow named John Mayer. Now, how many of you have listened to John Mayer? Okay, Dale. Um, <clears throat> the song is Stop This Train. Okay? I want you to listen to these lyrics because I want to address a crisis point he expresses in this song. Um, so this is Modern Culture 101 for just a moment. No, I'm not colorblind. I know the world is black and white. I try to keep an open mind. I just can't sleep on this tonight. Stop this train I wanna get off and go home again I can't take the speed it's moving in I know I can But honestly Won't someone stop this train His life's a train that won't stop Just keeps going Next verse Don't wanna see my parents cold. One generation's length away from fighting life out on my own. Oh, come on, stop this train. I wanna get off and go home again. I can't take the speed it's no, I can't, but honestly, won't someone stop this train? 
get another verse in a moment. I couldn't like cut the song and leave the whistling out. This is the live version. Cost us 15 seconds, just sort of splurge. Think of your coffee. Just begun. Oh. Had a time with my old man. Said help me understand. It's turned 68. Oh, you're really negotiate. Don't stop this train. Don't form a man and change the place you're in. Don't think I could have never understood. I tried. Let's wonderful point but he doesn't have the answer he's just throwing out the problem but he's put his finger on the problem and he's done a really good job he went to his dad for some help his dad had some help but not the answer i want to suggest to you that i hope he plugs into the internet and listens to this class because i'd like him to write one more verse you see The psalmist says that he's halfway on the road to wisdom. The psalmist prays, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's real easy. And I've got one of my children in here today. And I've got uh, Christy is here, another college kid who's like an adopted daughter. And any number of... One thing I'm emphatic about when I talk to the younger generation is pray that God will help you learn to number your days. Because it's too easy to get on the treadmill and run round and round and round. And then all of a sudden you wake up and say, where did time go? I think three or four times a week, Becky and I will look at each other and say, these are really, (laughs) quoting Carly Simon, the good old days. Um, We need to remember it because we're going to at some point say, remember when? We really need to stop, stop and absorb this because life doesn't have a TiVo where we can just record it and play it back. I can't go back and play the times where my girls who are now off in college were at home. Can't do it. I don't even have a pause button I can stick on life. 
okay, hold it. Let me run get a snack or let me run to New York and do this work job. I'll be right back and we'll pick up here where we left off. All of this has different generations as different people have identified the problem. But not that many people have sung about the solution. Remember Harry Chapin Carpenter? Wasn't it Harry? No, Harry Chapin. Who, whoever sang about dad, I'll grow, cats in the cradle. That's it. There's a good one for you. You listen to those songs and you think, ah, because they're putting their finger on it. If we learn to number our days. Now, that's not new wisdom. David writes the Psalms back over 800 years before Jesus. So you've got Paul now on death row appealing his, uh, 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 his arrest. And he's appealing it before Caesar. His life's on the line. And he sits in prison. Imprisoned at least. He's in a rented house. But he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. While he awaits the outcome of his appeal. To see whether he lives or dies. Paul's acutely aware of the number of his days. It's apparent from the way he writes. He wrote four letters that we know about. During this imprisonment. Today we're studying the letter that he wrote to the Colossians. We're going to look at it in just one quick overview. We'll go into a lot of Colossians in detail when we start studying the theology of Paul. Because it's uh, very heavy laden with theology. But let's throw it up on a map. Paul's in Rome. Paul's gazing to the east. He writes two letters together that we think were written together. One is the letter to the Ephesian church that we studied last week. And the second is the letter to the Colossian church, the church at Colossae that we're studying this week. Scholars call these the twin epistles because they... Well, some of you remember the double mint gum commercial. The, the, they are the twin epistles because they have so much in common. Uh, uh, and so uh, some scholars... That, that don't uh, 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 accept the integrity of Scripture uh, in, in the way that, that uh, uh, we do, even believe Colossians was probably written by someone else who just mimicked Paul and mimicked Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Well, that's not what happened. He wrote them both at the same time or about the same time. He sent them both through Tychicus, um, who delivered the Ephesians letter and then went on a little bit further down the road, another hundred miles or so to Colossae and took the letter to the Colossian church as well. And so that's why they have a lot in common. Paul's using a lot of the same terminology. He's preaching some of the same message. It's on his heart and he delivers it to the churches there. Now, having said that, let's go through the letter. Paul starts his letter out with prayer. He says, I've been praying for you because even though Paul never started the church at Colossae, Paul had not probably been there, didn't seem to know them face to face. He'd heard about them from a fellow named Epaphras who had been ministering to Paul while Paul was in prison in Rome. So Paul knew about them and he'd already been praying that he had been praying thanksgiving for them because they understood that out of the blessing of eternity with God... As Christians, we're blessed to have eternity with God, right? How many of you know that? Everybody knows that. Good. The blessing, one of the blessings of Christianity is we spend eternity with God. And Paul says, I'm thankful that you understand that because out of that will come your faith. 
And out of understanding that will come your love for other people in the church. When we understand we spend eternity with God, it certainly encourages us when difficulties arise. We can conquer them with our faith because we know where our eternity is. It certainly helps us when there's someone in need. And the brother or sister, and we're passing around the envelope for the single moms and dads who need help with school supplies. It's easy to help when we remember our eternal blessing is to be with God. Because that that puts it all into perspective. So Paul says, I'm thankful for that in the past, but I'm also praying for you in the future because I want your intimacy with God to grow. David talked this morning about no go and no grow and go. Paul, same thing. I want your intimacy with God to grow, your knowledge of him, your wisdom of him, because as you have greater intimacy with God, as you know God better, as you understand God better, your works, your fruits are going to grow. I went to see a movie this week with Becky. It was, it was kind of wretched. It had stuff in it that I found offensive. Not even mildly offensive. I found some of it, like, terribly offensive. And um, I like to think that I'm kind of, like, cool enough to handle this stuff, right? But i got to tell you, I was, I was offended. And I took a personal inventory afterwards. And I thought, okay, if I had seen this movie as a 24-year-old instead of as a... 47, almost 48-year-old. How would it have affected me? Now, when I was a 24-year-old guy, I'd graduated from law school. I was working as a lawyer in Houston. I loved the Lord. I, I, I taught Sunday school. Um, I, I cared immensely about godly things. But I honestly believe that movie would not have bothered me as much as it bothers me now. And it's not that I was callous then. I think what it is, is as we grow in our intimacy with God, the fruit in our lives changes and matures and ripens. And so there are things now as I've gotten older that I want to say to my children, don't watch that, it's garbage. When if I had been their age, I'd have probably been watching it. Thinking, I know how to sift between garbage and health. You know, I can flick the flies off the brownie and still eat the brownie. (laughs) I'm not into the brownie when the flies have been feasting on it now. It's a little bit different. But Paul's praying this. He's saying, I pray that your intimacy, your knowledge, your wisdom, your, your, your closeness to God grows because I know it's going to change the way you live. He says, I'm also praying that you will have your walk strengthened with the dynamite. Dunamis is the Greek word. We get dynamite from it. The dunamis, the power of God. I want the power of God to strengthen your walk. Okay, think about this for a minute. The power of God in what you're doing today, in what you do tomorrow. The power of God to strengthen your walk. That's incredible, he says, because it does things. First, whatever good you do in your life, God gets the glory because it's God's power that did it. When you're doing well, 
God gets the glory. It's God's power. By the same token, it's going to produce in you God's power will endurance so you can keep going. Patience, a virtue, joy. So I want the power of God, Paul says, just exploding in your life. Because this is the power of God that was at work in unfolding Jesus Christ in his ministry. The wonders of Jesus are the wonders of the power of God. Are you ready for the wonders of Jesus? Here they are. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Can't see God? Look at Jesus. We have four good gospel accounts of him. We have his encounters with Paul in Acts. In Jesus, you see the image of the invisible God. You have the firstborn of all creation. Now, wait a minute. This has caused theological problems over the decades. If you go back to our church history class in the 300s, they had a real wrangling issue over this, and the church divided. It's not saying that there was a time where Jesus never existed. I believe what Paul is saying here is that the idea that Jesus would become flesh was planned before any part of creation took place. He says the same thing with different language in Ephesians. In that sense, Jesus Christ, God become man, was the firstborn of all creation. It's something God had planned from beforehand. Jesus created all things. Jesus not only created them, but it was through him that they were created. Not only through him, but for him everything was created. He's the end game of creation. He is the purpose of creation. He is before all things. He holds everything together. He heads up the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent. That means above everything and everybody. In him, the fullness of God dwelt. Not a thumbnail of God. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Jesus. And through him, the whole earth can be reconciled. Now, that's pretty, pretty, pretty big. And Paul says, knowing that should have a real effect on believers. Because the hostility between us and God, Jesus erases away. Because the evil that we are prone to do, Jesus eliminates. Because the fact that we were alienated from God and we're distant from Him and we don't seek Him, Jesus takes that away also. We have all of the treasures of wisdom. We have all of the knowledge in Jesus Christ. The storehouse is full. Out of Jesus Christ comes all of the wisdom, all of the knowledge. Everything to understand the world and what's going on. As Pastor Fleming said, what happened is in this morning to Dick Hill and what's going on in Dick Hill's life and Dot's life. Right now, we couldn't understand if we didn't know Jesus. But when you understand Jesus, you understand what's going on. This is a war. We're not who we were made to be. We were made to be in fellowship with God. We were made to be perfect. We were made to live eternally for Him. Through sin, we were alienated from God. We became doers of evil. The world under a curse. We have hurricanes that wipe people out. It's not the way it was meant to be, but there is a day of restoration coming. And Paul says to the church in Colossae, now let me ask you a question. Why on earth would you turn from Jesus to anything else? Why would you? 
You got Jesus, who's all of those things. And some of you are talking like you're going to junk him for uh, human philosophy. Well, yes, Jesus may be all those things. But let me tell you what I thought of. Say, what? Yeah, I understand Jesus may be image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, created all things through whom all was created for whom before all holds all things together, head the church, became firstborn from the dead, preeminent, and whom fulfills the Godhead through whom all ranks up. But I've been thinking. <laughs> I might have a better way. He says, come on. Don't be beguiled by the simplicity of our calling into thinking that we are simple tons for making the decision. This is wisdom. This is knowledge. This is the whole picture of, of God's marking the, the believer. You know, in the Old Testament, the Jews were marked by circumcision. I guess Jews still are today if they're obedient Jews. But... This isn't some mark God put on his chosen people with a, a human hand. This is a mark that God has put by his divine hand. The image, the picture is in our baptism. He says, don't you see you were buried with Jesus as you were immersed into the water? And as you came out, you were raised to a new life. This is the power of God. Things are different for you. You have the power of Jesus Christ in your life. The dunamis, the dynamite of God. Gone is the idea that you live your life based on some rule book of, of religious rituals. Well... You know, you, you can't eat this, but you must eat that. You can't, you know, uh, oh, you did that, kill a dove. Um, gone. I'm going to be really holy. I'm going to give up liver and onions for the month. <laughs> the ultimate act of asceticism. No. Gone. That's not what life's about. By the same token, we're raised to a new life. So we, we don't live as if morality makes no difference. We don't live in sexual immorality. No. Why would we do something with our bodies? Ah, sexual immorality is not just doing something with your body. It's doing something with your heart. And it's doing something with your mind. And it's doing something with your spirit. It's doing something with the entire person. Why, why, why would we do that when we know Jesus Christ is the answer to all of our problems? And that he calls us to purity because it's best for us. Well, yeah, but I'm real into self-inflicted pain. That's not normal. Get that fixed. <laughs> Evil desires. I'm really in the mood to kill somebody. Oh, I don't want to kill them. I just want them to really hurt. I think I'll get some revenge. 
Man, I could sink their boat. What? Quit thinking like an old man. We've been raised to a new life. Oh, I want that. I want that so bad. I feel it. Why do they get that? Lucky dog. What? It's all God's anyway. If he didn't give it to you, then that's one less thing you have to mess with. If he gives it to you, you've got to figure out why he gave it to you and how he wants you to use it. Otherwise, it becomes your God and it rules you. And Paul says it's idolatry. No. We're raised to a new life. So, put away the sins of the past, he says. Put them in the rearview mirror. Your anger. You don't need it. Do you really need to blow a gasket? Experiment with me just for grins. See if there's some way you might be able to get God's will done without blowing a gasket. Because really you don't want your will done, you want his will done. So I'm assuming if we're blowing gaskets out of anger, we're doing it because we feel God's will will not be done otherwise. Wrath. Malice. Slander. Ooh. But slander's allowed right now. It's the political season. <laughs> that is the American way. If I get another email about how Barack Obama is the Antichrist or John McCain is the Antichrist, I get them from both sides. Oh, I get the whole John McCain crowd sending me Barack Obama hates the Bible and hates the world and really wants everything to go to literal hell. And then the, John, uh, the, the Barack Obama crowd sends me the emails, did you know John McCain is secretly trying to ruin the world and make it only helpful for the elite? I, you know, I'm not an idiot. I can... Read, and I know who these guys are, and I know what they stand for, and, and I'll investigate it. I'm not voting off the Internet email chain. <laughs> Obscene talk. Well, we know better than to do that in church. I don't think that's what he meant. My mom wouldn't let us cuss growing up. She sat down and had a heart-to-heart -heart with us. And I said, well, Mom, I don't think there's any magic power in the words. She said, A, I do. And B, it doesn't matter. You're smart enough to come up with more creative ways to say things. If you're really angry, instead of just speaking colloquially like everyone might, say something of majesty from the English language. Of course, it gets you beat up in the sixth grade when you tell other kids <laughs> that you're indignant. But you feel pretty smart while you're going down. <laughs> Instead of having the sins of the past, let's replace them with what we know God wants at the finish line. Let's have compassionate hearts. Let's have kindness. Let's have humility. Let's have meekness. Let's have patience. That's what we're called for. Let that be what everybody knows. So everything you do, you do it 
thinking about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's what in the name of means. In the name of does not mean you tag a formula line onto what you do. I open the door for you. In the name of Jesus. Excuse me while I set this down. In the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we pray to you in the name of Jesus. What in the name of Jesus means is because of who Jesus is. Your name back then was not just your label. It's who you were. If your name didn't fit your character, they changed your name. That's why you had all these kids walking around with names like, I caused my mother much travail in labor. That's what some of the names translate into. Okay? Uh, Or Joseph, the gatherer, Yosef, because he gathered his family together in Egypt. Jesus changes the names if they don't fit the personality. Your name is who you were and what you did. So we do everything in reference to who Jesus is. And when Paul says everything, he, he means everything. He says it three times to make sure you've got it. Everything. Everything you do at church, everything you do at home, everything you do at work. He applies it to the church. He applies it to the family. He applies it to the marketplace. Do everything in light of who Jesus is. Make the best use of your time. John Mayer. Because you don't have that TiVo button. You can't rewind it. You can't pause it. You have this shot. This is your time. This is your moment. You can choose today to grow closer to the Lord or you can choose today not to. It's your decision. You can choose to be complacent where you are. You can choose to walk in your old habits or you can choose by the power of God to be the new creation he made you to be. It is your choice. And choose wisely because the time is going and you can't redo it. I have several days in my life I would redo if I could. I will tell you the day I come across a time machine that allows me to go back and fix stuff. And we'll all fit in it together. But we don't have the promise of that. And that's my encouragement to you. That's Paul's encouragement to you to live each day carefully. When you talk... Let your words be seasoned with salt. Now, that does not mean have salty language. <laughs> oh, he's, I think he speaks like a sailor. Hey, shiver me timbers. No, not salty language in that sense. He means let your speech be flavored with graciousness. Let people know you're different than the world. Because of the way you speak. I remember being alive when the Watergate episodes were going on. And the tapes from the White House were were revealed. And Nixon's private conversations that were going on in the Oval Office had been taped. And the newspaper contained them. And the one thing, that's where I learned growing up the phrase expletive deleted (laughs) I never knew that phrase but it was used over and over and over when Nixon spoke privately expletive deleted the newspaper would say 
The guy cussed like crazy. Now, he didn't do it in public. He was an elected official. We don't have public private. We don't. Let our words be seasoned with grace, with salt. Let people know. Now, as Paul's getting ready to close, he closes with some personal notes. And we've got a wonderful crowd here today. Um, It's made the room a little hotter, I believe. I don't know if you're hot or not. I'm hot up here. So next week, I may be in a short sleeve shirt and some knickers. Uh, Don't worry. The class fled. (laughs) Becky was the only one there and she left early. Um, We've pulled out some extra chairs because we were over the summer doldrums. and We've got a wonderful crowd here today and it, it touches me to be able to share this lesson with a lot of you. But I got to tell you, next week's the good one. Okay? This is the warm up. Next week, we're going to look at the letter to Philemon. One chapter, one little personal letter. And there are some gold mines in there that I love. I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It tells an incredible story. It's got an incredible ending. And there is some wonderful church history that ties into it. About this fellow named Onesimus. That when we know the church history. Just makes you say. Wow. So if you can. Be here next week. And if you want to bring someone else, we'll break out some more chairs and crank the thermostat down a couple of notches. Points for home. Point one. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I've had children, my children, ask me, explain to me the Trinity. Now, I've taught Sunday school or preached for dozens of years, over two dozen years. I have a degree in biblical languages. I'm a Bible nerd. I love to read and study. I've taught theology. I've studied at the foot of some wonderful theologians. I have a wonderful library. It ain't that easy to explain because it ain't that easy to understand. Oh, I could say it's like H2O. It could be water, could be steam, could be ice. Three different facets, but all still H2O. All right, that helps. I don't say that lightly, that helps. But it's not perfect or it'd be in the Bible. (laughs) Paul would have said, think of H2O. Um... The Trinity is something that we're going to study when we do the theology of Paul. But I want to say to you right now this. Jesus Christ is the image of God. And when you see Jesus, you see God. The reason Jesus lived a perfect life is because perfection, in that sense, means doing what God would do. See, the law is an expression of God's living morality. For people. In the Old Testament time. It was for the Jews in that place and time in their history. 
Jesus has since transformed much of the law so that the rituals are gone. We still have much of the moral code still with us. I mean, morality is morality. And God hasn't changed, so how he would live has not changed. But Jesus is perfect because he was God. In him, the fullness of God dwelt. Now, why do I say this and make it a point for home? Because when you accept Jesus Christ, you accept him into your heart. The fullness of God is in Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You have power. You have purity. You have a calling. That's greater than you understand. And we, as a corporate group, have been blinded. And Satan doesn't just blind us by a snap of his fingers. He blinds us with things of this world. He blinds us with busyness. He blinds us with possessions. He blinds us with troubles. But we've been blinded. And we don't realize how rich we are and who it is that's in us. And the power that he has to conquer sin and to change our lives, our families, our businesses, and our world. He does. Point for home two. So, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is from the Department of Redundancy Department. In Greek philosophy, or Greek ideas, I should say, in, in the Greek world, they would divide everything up into two categories. Everything was either word or deed. Word is something you think, say, it's something unseen. Deed is an action. It's, it's something that involves the concrete. Everything's either idea or physical. So when Paul uses those categories, it'd be the same for us as saying A to Z. It just means everything. So here's what he's saying. Whatever you do, from A to Z, do it all because of who Jesus is and what he did. It's everything. He says it three times. He's triply emphatic. He doesn't want us to miss it. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. You want to get angry and throw a temper tantrum? That's fine. As long as in your brain you truly believe that Jesus Christ, you're doing this to honor Him. You want to cheat someone? I had someone flabbergasted when I checked out the other day. And she failed to charge me for something. And I said, um, I don't think you charged me for this. She was surprised. She was flabbergasted. She called someone over. Hey! I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's kind of a gimme. I mean, that's not a hard one, is it? I'm going to cheat someone over 39 cents? I'm doing it to the glory of Jesus. I could drop that in the basket on Sunday. So I don't know why I'm so cynical today, but... Point number three. We'll close with John Mayer, but I won't make you listen to the song again. Paul says, walk in wisdom, making the best use of the time. Because you can't stop the train. 
There's no getting, no stopping. It's going. Today will not be relived by you. No Groundhog Day movie. This is it. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the last several hours we've had to be in your presence as a group. In corporate worship in here. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you secured it for us through the ages. Lord, I pray that everybody in here will understand the power that you've got in their lives. That they will unleash your dynamite to bring purity, holiness, patience, joy, endurance, reverence, to see your will done in earth as it is in heaven. Bless my brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name, amen.